Hello and welcome to Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhood by revisiting fondly remembered films. Tonight I'm joined by a hard target. I've searched every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse and doghouse for, and as always, I've found him in a dark and dingy garage. Yes, it's Chris Webb. Hello! Hello. You've surprised me tonight. You're not actually in a dark and dingy garage tonight. You've jazzed it up. You've spruced it up. Yes. I, I will be honest. I took Marek Larwood's comments to heart. He said it made me look like a murderer. And I'm not a murderer. <laughs> no. no I've ne- never been accused of murder. <laughs> so uh, Mrs. Chris and myself, we've tidied up the garage and I've moved some stuff around and I've moved where I sit. So it actually looks like I'm in... Some kind of office or box room. I've even put a little print behind me, a little movie print. I know, just to make it look like I'm not in the dark and dingy garage. Yeah, you look all professional. You're like a professional mm. podcaster. I know, yes. that's the illusion of podcasts. And how have you been? I've been good. We had a nice weekend away. Oh yeah, I saw some pictures on Facebook. You're in the snow. We were in the snow. We went to Mount Ruapehu. Oh, lovely. Which for our overseas listeners is Mount Doom. From Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. That was the mountain or the volcano that they used. Yeah. So over the weekend, I took the family up there and we got all kitted out and we sledded down Mount Doom. Oh, look at you. It was great fun. Went all golem on it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> How are you anyway? I'm good, I'm good. I've been very busy with work, but it's nice to be back on back on the pod. It's good to be um, back, isn't it? It's good to be back. And and I sort of I broke the rules tonight and it's my because it was my choice tonight, but I sort of insisted on doing the intro because I just wanted to do my protracted half pie Tommy Lee Jones. It, it's absolutely fine because mine was just a really bad joke about you having a false body part. So <laughs> yours is much better. Well, you know, there have been times in my life where I've I've been so lonely. Um, you know, I, I may as well have just had one arm. If you, if you know what I... <laughs> just just feels like somebody else's murderer, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, because of course tonight we are looking or revisiting the nineteen ninety three action thriller, The Fugitive. I came home. There was a man in my house. <laughs> He had an artificial arm. Are you saying that I killed my wife? All right, ladies and gentlemen, listen up. We have a fugitive that's been on the run for 90 minutes. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or dog house in this area. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Mmm, The Fugitive, the remake of the TV series. Did you watch the TV series at all as a kid or in reruns? The the only things I remember about it, there wasn't really that much running away or chasing after the one-armed man in the TV series. It was very much like The Incredible Hulk. Or the Littlest Hobo yeah. TV series, where our protagonist would turn up in a town, get into a few scrapes, help some people out, and then leave yeah. again. I think it was only in the very, very last episodes where he did finally catch up with the one-armed man. 
Yeah, and I mean, of course, it preceded The Littlest Hobo and, and The Incredible Hulk by some years, so... Of course. <laughs> the, the Incredible Hulk was really a, a super-powered fugitive, really, wasn't he? And, and, and The Littlest Hobo was really a canine fugitive. It, it, it absolutely was. So um, it was the template for all those things. Even like Renegade with the Lorenzo Lamas. Lorenzo Lamas? Lorenzo Lamas class? <laughs> Lorenzo... <laughs> I always thought it was Lorenzo Lamas, like in <laughs> yeah. plural of the animal. Lorenzo Lama. Um, Friends with Al Pacino. Yeah, it was the template of that whole man on the run who can't help but um, do some good deeds in every little yeah. shit town that he stops off at. And Why yeah. won't people believe him that he's good, really? Why don't they believe him? Yeah, doggedly p- pursued by Gerard, Philip Gerard. That's right. Yeah, this movie kind of kicked off that whole craze in the mid-90s of pointlessly remaking 60s shows, like The Mod Squad and... The Saint. The Saint and... Yeah, the Avengers. And, um, yeah, it was all there. Yeah. Didn't they remake The Prisoner recently for TV? Oh, it was awful. It Ian McKellen in it, didn't it? Yeah, Ian McKellen, Jim Caviezel, Jim Jesus Caviezel. Jesus, <laughs> Jeezy Caviezel. Jeezy yeah. <laughs> Caviezel. I watched about half an hour of the first part and absolutely terrible. Yeah, I think I did the same. So there was a period of time where we were just going to movies all the time. And I remember going to this movie. It was a huge, huge phenomenon. Pre sort of digital age. Those little half hour behind the scenes, little docos that they used to have. And yeah. They, they played this one and talked about how the um, train crash special effect was like the uh, cost a million dollars and did it massive at the time. No, <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, wow, <laughs> they used the real train apparently. Yeah, it looked fine, it looked seamless, but it, it just shows you the spectacle that you see in movies these days where that, that would just be kind of one of a hundred set pieces in a big it, dumb action in, movie. In these the days. movies these days, they'd have done that the other way around. They would have yeah. made the train CG, and so it, just, it, just, it would have just looked completely different. But um, it was a real phenomenon at the time, and, mm. then the, and it was kind of peak Harrison Ford, really. It was kind of the peak of his post-Indiana Jones. I, th- I think he did this in between Jack Ryan's. Um, it, it was just before the, the downfall of quality. So he, you're right, he was at that peak of middle-aged man pushed to his limits, running desperately, trying to save the day. <laughs> Yeah, frantically, if you yeah. if you will. Yeah, because I, I was looking through his filmography, and after this, it was clear and firewall danger. and things like that. Air Force One was probably the best of a middling bunch, and it just kind of went downhill and into your, what lies beneath. I like what lies beneath. Yeah, it was kind of enjoyable, but it was the the, the long slow decline really. Mm. I think what lies beneath, beneath is a kind of a a rarity for him because spoilers, he's a baddie. He's a baddie, yeah. Yeah, which he... I, I can't think of another film where he's a baddie. It's quite upsetting, him being a baddie it in is. that movie. But, but he's perfectly cast in it for that reason. Yeah, it's such cognitive dissonance, hmm. thinking of Harrison Ford as a, as a baddie. I mean, he's been complicated people before, I guess, like Mosquito Coast, Han Solo. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. I suppose Indiana Jones does just machine gun people to death and things like that. But. Yeah. yeah. But I think this movie is really when he made that final decision, much like Tom Cruise has, that, no, I'm not going to go for that Oscar anymore. I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm just going to play it safe. You know, having said that, this this was quite a character-driven, as far as action thrillers go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he has to use his smarts as well as his frantic running style. You know, a little while ago on Twitter, there was that photo of a dog that looked a bit like Harrison Ford. (laughs) I think this is the film where he looks most like that dog that looks like Harrison Ford, because he constantly does that sort of half-respectful smile 
all the way yeah. through, which is that sort of Harrison Ford look. That sort of sheepish. Half half confused, half kind of sheepish, yeah. Yeah, that sort of hangdog sheepish. Mm. And uh, that, that scene where he's in the... Um, photo booth he's blinking and ruffling yes yeah, yeah. fake id and he does that kind of he's he's blinking and looking confused and then he does this really weird <laughs> awkward smile like he's farted That's and, right. you know, whoop, whoop. it's that fart in a lift look isn't it yeah and of course this is really where tommy lee jones burst onto the yeah the world in a major way great role oscar winning and he just looks so young and thin he's bloody good in it though He's really good. He's wonderful. He's really good. Yeah. He is. So, of course, we um, kick off with some very 90s credits, 90s theme music. Doom. Doom. Oh, well, the opening yeah. credit just massively on the screen goes, Harrison! Just in really big letters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know and, exactly what sort of film you're going to get. And it starts off these black and white, slow-mo, kind of flashy flashbacks yes. of Celia Ward, um, mm. a peak 90s actress. She's in one of the best um, Fraser episodes. Really oh, good one, yeah. And she was an Emmy-winning television actress, wasn't she, in the 90s? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we have these these sort of vivid flash flashes of her being assaulted and, mm. and murdered. It's quite a striking start, isn't it? It works, actually. It certainly grabs your attention. And then we see a beardy Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's quite an unkempt beard. They've given him this longish hair, and it's obviously just so that they can cut it and shave it later. Oh, absolutely, so yeah. <laughs> it's not a look that a uh, respectable, wealthy, preeminent cardiovascular surgeon... Well, you wouldn't would be a surgeon with facial hair, surely. You, you don't want to get any of that ending up in anyone's arteries or anything. Yeah, it's almost like he was still in his, doing his um, witness uh, character, John Book, and he'd fully assimilated with the Amish. <laughs> but... <laughs> It looks wrong. It looks wrong, that beard. Yeah. But obviously that's purely intentional. It's totally intentional. Yeah. But then we get like a newsreader voiceover of the crime scene, mm. which mm. I know we've mentioned it in previous episodes, but having that sort of thing is a really effective way of delivering exposition because that that's newsreader great. voiceover tells us everything. We very quickly learn Dr. Richard Kimball, you know, cardiovascular surgeon, wife has been murdered, he's been taken in for questioning, mm-hmm. and then it's quite an effective scene of him being interviewed by the cops, and every every cop in this movie is just a total schlub. Yeah, absolutely. Overweight, don't yeah. anything, yeah. kind of, <laughs> you know, help me to help you, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it's the fat, sweaty coppers, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite effective, he's sitting there looking very, very worried, and Flashing back to kind of the, that evening where they're at a swanky fundraiser, driving home, very loving marriage. He gets called away to um, assist another surgeon in yeah. emergency uh, OR. Comes home and struggles with a one-armed man yes. who's killed his wife. Mm. So then and... we're, we're back into the interview room and, and, and apparently yeah. he didn't know what questions they were going to ask him. But they yeah. were just like throwing questions at him just to kind of confuse him. And the one that made me laugh is where they ask, what did he weigh? As if he's supposed to... <laughs> well, I don't know. 100 kilos? I don't yeah. know. With or without yeah. prosthetic? I don't know. I always crack up the bit where he's, he said, a, a, a man with a cosmetic arm. A oh, he does the arm. He does the movement. Yeah. <laughs> he like, mimes oh, an arm. <laughs> when he just points to his own arm. We all know what an arm yeah. is. He comes across as more worried than, than sort of distraught that his wife's yeah. died, but we kind of get there in the end, don't yeah, we, when he yeah. kind of realises that they're fingering him for the, for the, for the crime. For the gig, yeah. Um, yeah. And then we're straight into the court, which is a, it's a nice yeah. sort of mashup of the trial and more yeah. flashbacks. It's, yeah. it's very, very yeah. well edited, and immediately yeah. it's guilty, death penalty. Well, it's not helped by the fact that um, his dying wife called 911 and said, he's trying to kill me, he's trying to kill me, Richard, Richard, 
Hmm. I know she was dying, but she could have said, he's trying to kill me, not Richard. Yeah, just, just one word. <laughs> she should have really thought it through, shouldn't yeah. she? Someone's trying to kill me. It isn't Richard. It isn't Richard, yeah. <laughs> For God's sake, it's not Richard, okay? It would have been a very short film, but... <laughs> Save Richard a lot of heartache. Um, at the 15-minute mark, we're in the transport, basically, the prison transport mm-hmm. bus, cracking along at this it's, at this point. It's breakneck pace, but it doesn't feel rushed. No. They've crammed all of this into 15... Well, even what happens next, like the big incident, happens at like the 18-minute yeah. mark or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But we don't yeah. feel rushed through. I think the storytelling in this is fantastic. Because of the casting of Harrison Ford and because he is such a natural, as you say, the, the sort of hangdog, sheepish smile and you just you instantly feel a connection with them oh, absolutely forward and uh you know his wife's been killed and you're right even though he's a very very rich surgeon who we could never yeah. possibly relate to he's yeah. still an everyman because he's Harrison yeah, ford absolutely yeah then of course in the prisoner transport bus some bloody dirty prisoners are oh they're in a... swines aren't they they're, god they're naughty aren't they yeah one of them's got What's that term for a fake knife in prison? One of them's got a shiv. Shiv. A shiv or a shank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like he gets he, that out. He, he attacks yeah. the guard and there's a yeah. big scuffle. The bus crashes. Kimball is quite conveniently unlocked to help because he's a doctor. Yeah. Um, but they're on a train track and there's a train coming. That's really unfortunate, isn't it? The bus just falls down a, a hillside onto a train track. Now, knowing my experiences of public transport, that is always the way. You wait half an hour for a bus, and then a fucking bus and train turn up at the same time. Always the way. And of course, Richard Kimball, being the the great guy that he is, mm. has to try and help people. Yeah. And um, he tries to get the guard to help him, but the guard says, yeah. as, as anyone would say, he says, "To hell with you," which yeah. is what you'd say when there's a train rushing at you at breakneck speed. And who is that actor who plays the guard? Because he, he plays a bit of a scumbag in, in quite a few movies. He's, oh, he's really I recognise him, but I, I didn't he, look too much into to that level of supporting characters, unfortunately. He's Juice, Juice Bigelow's dad, I think. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> and saves the guard, jumps out of the um, the bus yep. just before it collides. Yeah. He does like a little and, jump in front of a giant TV screen, basically, yeah. which cost yeah. a million dollars. Cost a million dollars, and yeah. I mean it still looks fine. But... I'm being unfair because at the time it would have looked amazing. Yeah, and I mean, what is this? Twenty six years old, which is yeah, yeah. quite crazy to think. That's terrifying. And he was yeah. he was fifty one in this movie. It was that sort of fifteen year period where Harrison Ford looked exactly the same age. Yeah, and in those and, days, uh, fifty one was old. Of course, now it isn't oh, because yeah. of people like Tom yeah. Cruise. And yeah, it, he's great in it. Does his big leap, and like I said, that's eighteen minutes, and all of this has yeah. happened. If this was made today, that wouldn't happen until minute 59 or something like that. We'd have so much backstory, so much sluggish pacing. Yeah. The the pacing of this is great. It's fantastic. And as I was watching the movie, I was... You always wait for that kind of inevitable sag in the the second act. It doesn't really happen in this movie. We'll talk about that. Oh, you're going to... A bit of a disagreement? Okay. Yeah. So, um, Richard has his chains unlocked by one of the other escapees mm-hmm. who says, I don't care where you go, just don't follow me. He's he's off running along the, the yep. riverbank in rural Illinois. Then we cut to the uh, county sheriff who's credulously believing the um sort of weaselly uh, mm. guard story that he saved everyone and Richard Kimball's dead. And, yep. No, it's pretty cut and dry. Great. 
we're done here. And then, yep. wait, not so fast. Here come the Marshals. What a great little team this is. They are. They've got great chemistry. They've all got little yeah. individual characters. They're, they're really yeah. good. Brilliant. It's almost like a pilot episode for kind of like a CSI type kind mm. of show that they, they could have carried this. They, they should have oh. had their own film called US Marshals, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't a great film, <laughs> The problem was you didn't give a shit about the guy they were chasing. They tried to kind of totally uh, redo the same plot, but yeah. So um, Tommy Lee Jones gets out. He's in this fantastic tactical anorak with heaps of little Velcro pockets and things. <laughs> I really wanted one when I was a kid. It's like Batman's utility belt, but uh, but an anorak form. <laughs> Batman's and... anorak. <laughs> Batman's, ut- Batman's util- utility anorak. And... Um, Joe Pantoliano's there as kind of one of his offsiders and a couple of other people. Yeah, there's the guy with the moustache. Yeah, the sassy black woman. Yeah, the sassy black woman and, and the bloke with the ponytail who looked a bit like Kerry Mulligan. <laughs> he does a bit. Yeah. Yeah. This whole scene is about showing how kind of competent and smart this team of US Marshals, particularly Tommy Lee Jones' character is. Because they come in, immediately they find some uh, leg irons with no one in them. Tommy Lee Jones talks to the sheriff and the sheriff cuts him off and then eventually just says, well, I'm going to over, I'm gonna take over this um, case. And then he does, and he of says, course... On, on what authority? And they've always got a bit of paper that says, yeah, it's my authority. They've always got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, he does his um, famous... Uh, you know, we've got a yep. hard target, surgery, outhouse, henhouse, whorehouse. Yep. I've, I've written great henhouse, outhouse speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an iconic henhouse, outhouse speech. Yep. Um, it's, it's a speech for the trailer, isn't it, really? A speech for the academy. But then we see Kimball on the run, and he yeah. very conveniently sees a man undressing um, and leaving yeah. his clothes in an unlocked truck. Because everyone does that. I know I do. Yeah. Mm. So he grabs his overalls. Does he go to a hospital and get some medical gear? He steals some medical gear? He's sustained as an, an injury, yep. Yeah, and then he injects himself in the beer bum. Yeah, a bit of a gratuitous beer bum scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough, it is Harrison Ford. And as he's coming out of the hospital, of course, an ambulance pulls up, and who should be getting wheeled into the hospital but the guard whose life he saved. He mentions to the ambulance officers that he's got a uh, particular kind of wound, and they're like, how could he guess that just by looking at him? And then and then he steals the ambulance. Um, but they realise it's him, so the helicopter's chasing the ambulance. That's uh, a great scene. It's fantastic, yeah. It's really good. you got Tommy Lee Jones in the helicopter talking like... <laughs> sound check, check, sound check. Doing his Norman get, Collier. Get your, maps. Yep. Yeah. get your maps out. You can see the ambulance in the distance while he's actually in the cockpit of the helicopter. That's really, really good scene. It is. And they chase them into like a... There's a, there's a tunnel... So Harrison yeah. Ford t- goes into a tunnel and he hides in, in a sort of a storm drain, which is a tunnel yeah. which is over a big dam. Yeah. Which is, yeah. of course, we're leading up to the, the main iconic scene of the film. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, a chase through the, the tunnels and the drains, which results in Tommy Lee Jones pointing a gun at Harrison Ford while Harrison Ford is standing over the edge yeah. of the cliff. And then we get some great dialogue. Harrison Ford says to Tommy Lee Jones, I didn't kill my wife. And, of course, Tommy Lee Jones says to him, I don't care. I think that's an amazing piece of dialogue. I think it's up there with, I love you, I know. Because it says so much. Because he couldn't have Tommy Jones' character be a teddy bear at this point. You know, Mm. he still has to have ambiguity to him. He is like, at this point, he is the the antagonist. It just says, yeah, I am a relentless, ruthless, single-minded 
pursuer of you. I have a job to do. The the right and wrong doesn't matter. I've been told to do this. I'm going to do it and I will do it. Yeah. And of course, as the movie goes on, you see he's actually a slightly more nuanced and layered character than that. He's not just your black and white lawman quite. And um, what does Harrison Ford do from this point on? He's got no choice really but to... um, switch out for a really terrible floppy limbed dummy the leg bends the wrong way i just don't understand it this is a big budget movie um you can spend a million dollars on a train crash why can't you get a dummy an anatomically correct dummy whose leg doesn't bend the wrong way yeah i know we've talked about this before the best dummy that we've seen was in bad taste the peter jackson yeah. dummy which cost him nothing it was stiff yeah it's like it curled itself up into a ball which you would do yeah that's right yeah 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 i just don't get that and surely you would watch on the rushes or something and go oh, okay let's just get another dummy let's make some let's get make some wooden bones let's actually make a skeleton yeah. Yeah. like a crash test dummy really disappointing i yeah. mean what would have been good is if um when he sort of floats up later that his leg was all bent in the wrong yeah kind of... <laughs> Like Rick Mayles in Bottom when he falls off the chair. You you thought it was a bad dummy, didn't you? But no, look. (laughs) Look at that leg. (laughs) And of course, um, any person in their right mind would assume that um, Dr. Richard Kimball was dead now, Mm. but not Deputy U.S. Marshal Philip Gerard. From this point on, this is the issue that I was talking about with the film, where it does it sag or doesn't it? Oh, okay. I think they've badly timed where the the major action scenes are in the film. Ah, uh, okay. I All think right. I think they've spunked the excitement too soon, and you can never top what they've done. They've had the brilliant train, and now they've yep. had this ridiculous jump from the dam, and nothing mm-hmm. is ever going to be as as good as that. So everything else from there feels a little bit pedestrian. I still felt like the the tension of the pursuit was there. Oh, I, so, I still like yeah. the film, but as far as set pieces go, yeah, 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 you're never going to top that. I, I think at least one of these should have occurred much later in the film. Obviously, not the escape, but um, I, I think something. <laughs> I think something as big as the the dam jump they could have put later in the film. I'm going to steal something wholesale that I heard from another podcast where they compared yeah. an action movie to a musical. Oh yeah, I, I was listening to that the other day. I think it was Samir Ahmed. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And so if you put all the good songs right at the beginning of a musical, everything else feels a little bit dull. Yeah. So I'm going to compare this to Frozen, where they throw all the really good songs in at the beginning, and then yeah. for the last hour there are no songs at all. And you think, oh, mm. where are the songs gone? And this yeah. feels a little bit like that. There's none of those really massive set pieces. It's still a really good film. Spoilers, listeners, it's a really good film. But I, I just yeah. think it's mistimed. I hear where you're coming from. I mean, I guess the, um, the St. Patrick's Day kind of parade sequence that's quite oh, a, it's exciting yeah it's good that's a good one but this is huge this is a man yeah, leaping yeah, yeah. 200 yeah. feet into water it's a big thing this is normally like yeah second or third act for me it's not a highlight of the film it's the thing that a lot of people remember maybe because of the floppy leg i don't know but uh, no it is it is a, the kind of it is like an iconic and parodied mm. much parodied kind of yeah. scene of the movie and because now what they've got to do, of course, is to harken back to the TV series and actually have some moments where Richard Kimball can't help but do the right thing and yes. help people yeah. while also pursuing the one-armed man. What they've done to, in this movie is, of course, make him... He's still quite sinister and a nasty guy, but he is just the henchman of Big Pharma, which is the real baddie. And Euron Crab, which is another hallmark of a 90s movie, is... 
Yellow and Crab to now? Well, I saw him. He's playing, of course, Richard Kimball's best friend. Yeah. And I just thought, how nice that for once he's (laughs) playing like the best mate and not the surprise baddie. Nice in an action guy. movie. It's a really nice change. He's doing a kind of an Arnold Schwarzenegger too because um, he's this clearly Dutch guy named Charles Nichols. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Should have just called him John Matrix. I was going to say John Matrix. <laughs> I suppose you could have Dutch people called Charles Nichols, but... Yeah, it's not... Because I, I think somebody else was initially cast and they couldn't do it and obviously he was... Yeah too expensive to change the name in the script <laughs> well apparently um apparently there were others who were initially cast as dr richard kimber as well they were looking at alec baldwin nick nolte nick nolte thought he was too old for the role even though he was only a year older than harrison ford nick nolte would have been very interesting he I would think. have been interesting eh? Yeah. probably less less sympathetic but more kind of mm. ambiguous i don't know but you'd think harrison ford would be the, the just the go-to for something like this yeah 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 not just because of the the role itself, but because at the time he was guaranteed box office. It was money, but also it's the the character action guy, not just like a you know Bruce Willis or I mean you couldn't have like a John Claude Van Damme, you couldn't have like a Sylvester Stallone. It had to be the everyman who could act action guy. That's the way that all action heroes should be. Yeah, yeah. You look at Bruce Willis in the first Die Hard. Or yeah. obviously any action film that Harrison Ford has been in, they're yeah. not invincible at any moment. You think they're going to lose? Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes them interesting. I don't want to see someone who's superhuman who can throw somebody through a wall. What's the point of that? You want to see someone who's got some jeopardy. And if it was Tom Cruise doing it, he actually would have jumped off the bloody um dam. Oh, he'd have just done it in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> we are into the kind of like the the more as you say. I guess, mundane pursuit of Kimball and the team is always just, he's always just one step ahead. It's all quite plausible though. I found it when I was watching, I was like, oh oh, yeah, I could kind of believe why they've just missed him here. Oh yeah, and you can understand why he's sticking his neck out because he's trying to get it solved. And so going, why the hell would he come back here? And it's because he wants to solve it. He wants to sort it out. So he eventually starts trying to find this one-armed man, Mm. ends up back in Chicago, goes and stays in sort of a cheap room to let it's all right. My first flat was much smaller than that. <laughs> it was terrible. That's much nicer. There's a good little scene where the cops raid it, and he's like, oh, shit, I'm done for now. Can't get yeah. out. And then it's the landlady's scumbag son who's been dealing He's a drugs. dealer or something, yeah. yeah. I tell you, the scene I did like is where he's Kimball phones his lawyer, and the police have tapped the phone call, and they're trying to work out where he is. Oh, by, yeah, the, yeah, by yeah. the sounds of the trains. That's an L. That's an L. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that's an L train? Yeah. Whereabouts is an elevator? <laughs> it's that episode of Police Squad where they do the same thing and they're going, oh, that's a tuba. Where's the tuba <laughs> capital of the city? <laughs> <laughs> but there's some real um, tropes of kind of your procedural movie here, isn't there? Like you say, listening to the train in the background and... Um, Harrison Ford making the fake ID and he goes to a prosthetic lab, tries to work out who's um, received a prosthetic arm at a certain time. This stuff is good because he's a doctor. Mm. He's using yeah. his his medical and academic knowledge to try and find the killer. I think that's excellent. He's not just a doctor to go, ooh, he's a doctor. Yeah, he, They actually use it as part of his character. He's, he's looking at um, people who had an injury at, or amputation at the uh, mid-humerus. And um, I didn't think there was anything funny about it at all myself. But, no, um, no. Especially that joke. Yeah. 
<laughs> Not, totally non-humorous. <laughs> Watching this movie as well, it did make me remember the time I was actually beaten up by a one-armed boy. <laughs> really? Yeah, he, he did have help from from his friends. <laughs> well, you'll get by, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was in Form 1. It was the start of the term, and I, I don't know what I'd said to him. I, I must have been trying to try out... Something. I can't imagine what you'd have said. I mu- I, look, I was a nice, unassuming kid. I must have been trying out some sort of wanker persona or something and said something mean to this kid with one arm. And I just remember going out into the field at um, morning interval, and there was one kid sort of to the left of me, another kid to the right of me, and they sort of nodded at each other and ran to me, grabbed me down, held me down, and then... um. The, the one arm kid ran up to me, took off his sort of prosthetic, he had the little kind of hook thing, Yeah, yeah. And um, hit me multiple times with his stump. My God. And then they just took off. Bloody hell. It was like a hit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it taught me a lesson. So did you immediately <laughs> shave your beard off and try and catch it? <laughs> I went to, I went to the off the school office, went to the principal's office. I was hit by a... By a one-armed one child. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> he had a prosthetic. Arm. Did the headmaster go? How much did he weigh? <laughs> yeah. Oh um, my word! No wonder yeah. you resonate with this film. <laughs> my God. Yeah, I understand Richard Kimball's trauma perfectly. Mm. God, that's a shocker. I'm sure I deserved it. Probably. So Richard is in the hospital, and while he's trying to narrow down from the their prosthetic uh, database. Yeah. Um, who the killer is. He bumps into Julianne Moore. I'd forgotten she was in it. Yeah. This was sort of pre-fame Julianne Moore, wasn't it? It was, it was before... What was her first big one? The one with Hugh Grant? Nine months? Uh, nine yeah. months. It was either Nine Months or Boogie Nights would have been her first yeah, bo- major yeah, bo- one. This was pre-Boogie Nights. But her name is very high in the credits in this, despite only a few minutes of screen time. And I, I did read that there were a lot of deleted scenes where she became his love interest. You can see that. This is definitely like a little miniature version of what would happen in an episode of The Fugitive where you know, he catches the eye of, of someone when he's doing this good deed. Because, of course, he's, he's pretending to be a janitor, sees an injured boy, she's a doctor, sends him to, tells him to go down and get x-rays or tells him to go down and take him somewhere. But he realises... Um, as he, after he looks at the X-rays, that actually this kid's got this other injury and changes his notes and saves his life. It really would have slowed the movie da- down to a halt yeah. if they'd done anything more. But also, he might have been less sympathetic if he was having relations with someone while trying to avenge his dead wife. Yeah, they do tend to forget the grief kind of element throughout the movie. I think. I mean, fair enough. He's getting the whole time he's on the run and there, yeah, there's a moment where he's kind of sleeping in the in the bushes or something and he kind of thinks back to oh he's under a giant pile of leaves isn't he he effectively yeah. has a wet dream he basically does yeah and he's like oh he got up and the leaves stuck to him yeah. <laughs> 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 I think he was just lying there really cold thinking oh remember when I used to sleep in a bed yeah. <laughs> My wife, it was nice. Yeah, I did um, enjoy that. Yeah. It was quite good. I miss linen. So then there's a scene in the courthouse. I, f- I forget why he goes to the courthouse, but there's a really good sort of, you think he's going to get caught, but there's two flights of stairs. So he's going up one flight and Tommy Lee Jones is going yeah. down another flight. And you expect yeah, them yeah. to meet, but it's two separate flights of stairs. 
yeah. I enjoy things like that. There's also a bit where um, the marshals are talking about doing a raid where um, Richard Kimball gets picked up. He's walking along a bridge at night. Woman pulls over and picks him up. And the next scene is uh, the marshals are in their HQ talking about, oh, he's gone. He's gone home mm. with some woman. And then they do this, this raid. And it's the other fugitive. That's right. So Kim, Kimball gets away. He, he escapes from the courthouse. And there's a, there's a huge St. Patrick's Day parade going on. So Harrison Ford escapes by wearing a hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's his big escape plan. He puts a hat on. <laughs> and it works. It's very clever. Green hat conveniently in, in the um, rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> I was just waiting there. There's probably like a kid underneath it or something. <laughs> oh, it's been... someone's obviously vomited in it or something. That's why the only reason you put a hat in the bin. And these you know, amazing sleuths, Tommy Lee Jones and his team, are, are running all around the um the parade looking for him. And he's just sort of slowly walking there with his hat. They could have gone to every single person with a hat and just check, check their yeah. face. And, um, check every hen house, outhouse uh, yeah. and hat. That's what he should have said. <laughs> and they'd have found him that way. <laughs> Check every hen house, haberdashery, and milliners. Check every Hallensteins, <laughs> farmers. <laughs> but then, by the power of deduction, they've mm. wheedled it down to one final prosthetic suspect. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a really terrible police procedural show from the 90s. Yes. Yeah. Prosthetic, prosthetic suspect. <laughs> that would work. I only deal with suspects who have prostheses. <laughs> Helen Mirren is... <laughs> the false arm of the law. Yeah. So Richard Kimball, Harrison Ford, breaks into his house yeah. and he sees a photo of him. It's him. It's the guy mm. who looks a bit like Howard Stern, the killer. <laughs> he does, yeah. But he's a cop. Oh, but we know it's him because he finds his spare arm in a drawer. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know a few um, a few women who keep a spare arm in the in the drawer by the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all they tell me it is anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but he also sees the killer, the one-armed man, with a photo of that bloke that Harrison Ford met in the first flashback at the fundraiser, yeah, Mr. Lentz. One of the pharmaceutically doctory people. Obviously, he's starting to put the pieces together and sort of realizes mm. that this this may be something to do with bad farmer. Big bad farmer. Yeah. So he calls Gerard from the apartment and leaves the phone off the hook and says the "I found a very big piece" monologue, which we all know so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can trace the call and go and and they they're aware of the prime suspect too as well. And now this is where I was saying it starts losing a little bit of momentum. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. He's, yeah. he's wandering around the hospital. He's talking with Jane Lynch about cell samples. Yeah. And they're talking about tests and stuff. It, it gets a little bit dull for and about 20 minutes. You're right. The last half hour, 40 minutes, doesn't have to be that long. No. And then it gets a little bit formulaic too when he eventually um, has his confrontation with the one-armed man. God, let's humanise him. God, his name's Sykes. Um, Is it? Sykes? Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Because, of course, Tommy Lee Jones starts piecing things together now as well, doesn't he? Mm, yeah, he's starting um, to realise that maybe Kimball is innocent and there mm, is a one-armed man. And maybe he does care just a little bit. And they interview uh, Sykes and, and Sykes says, yeah, he does security for um, Devlin McGregor. 
which is the pharmaceutical company. That's right. Yeah, you know, he had already been interviewed about being the one-armed man a year ago, and da da da. And Sykes is basically like, right, I've got to kill Kimball now, and I'm going to wear this incredibly conspicuous trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> basically look like frankenstein's monster in a trench coat because he's a fucking big guy (laughs) there's one arm flopping about everywhere (laughs) so he follows kimball onto an underground train they have a fight yeah kimball of course being an unfit surgeon (laughs) who's also injured just fights like stallone on this train and manages to knock out the one-armed man and then he cuffs him to a, a pole on the train yeah. I would have just loved it if he'd cuffed him at the wrong arm and he'd just gone ha ha fooled you I would have liked it if um, Sykes had said to him I could beat you with one arm one arm tied of, behind my fly, <laughs> flopping on the side <laughs> I mean it's terrible and I don't want to sound ableist but it does look kind of funny them having a fight with this sort of arm flopping about yeah <laughs> You're okay to say it because the actor himself was bi-armed. Bi- bi-armed. <laughs> Duo, Duo-armed. Yeah, no, he well. wasn't a mono-arm. He, he was bi-armed. So we were allowed to laugh at his prosthesis. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's cuffed to the train, waiting for the US Marshals to pick him up. Also, though, the horrible... Sykes has actually shot a transit cop. Oh, he has! Um, who is um the janitor from Scrubs and the dad in the middle. It is, yes. Yeah. That's who he is. Because he's killed a cop, all the Chicago PD think Kimball's killed the cop, and now he's really in trouble. It's shoot, shoot on the spot, basically. Shoot on yeah. sight, isn't it? So yeah. yeah, He's in a bit of trouble. But Kimball has now finally put the pieces together and worked out that it's all to do with this pharmaceutical company where... Tests were made on this wonder drug. Kimball's tests proved that it wasn't working. Fucked up your liver, basically. Yeah, fucked up your liver. Yeah. So they faked the results to make it look successful. Yeah. To hush Kimball up, they sent the one-armed ram around there to do him over. The one-armed but, ram. Well, the, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> they sent the one-armed man around there just to, to tie up those loose ends. And so, of course, he works out it's not Lent, the man from the photo, because he's also dead. It is, surprise, surprise... Charles Nichols. His mate. His best friend. Who would have thought that... Yeah. How do you pronounce it? Your own crab. Your own crab. There is an, yeah. a, an acute accent. So it might be crabbe. Your own yeah, crabbe. Yeah, yeah, your own um, crab. I'd rather deal with my, my own crab than <laughs> someone else's. But <laughs> Yeah. I look after my crabbe. You look after your own. Yeah. So he realises that he is the big cheese. He's the one behind the whole thing. Mm. So he goes to confront him, but of course, where's he going to be? But the International Association of Cardiologists Conference, which is being held. At the Hilton. Which is where Nichols is there to sell this fantastic wonder drug. Provasic. That's the one. really sounds like a wonder drug. It sounds like the sort of thing you'd see on a infomercial at night that that like a company like Pfizer absolutely would make you know provasic yeah god that sounds like it's gonna be great for my vasic <laughs> it's not anti-vasic it's provasic <laughs> yeah. my arteries are just feeling like more limber and free-flowing just even hearing it's, that it's word. good it's positive 
Mm. Yeah. So he interrupts Charles's speech. Charles is trying to sell Provasic, and he, he interrupts it, and he's dropping hints that I know you killed my wife. Little hints mm. like that. But and also so, when you're yep. giving a keynote address. so charles says let's discuss this outside like old friends yeah and richard follows him and then there is a surprisingly energetic fight between two middle-aged surgeons this is where really um you know in a movie filled with quite preposterous (laughs) sort of (laughs) set pieces that somehow you know but they you get they get away with it they feel believable in the the context of the film this fight between like you say two middle-aged vascular surgeons <laughs> it's like it should be shit they should both be sort of slapping each other and kind of getting into a little grabbing someone's shirt and kind of like the bridget jones's diary fight yeah know? exactly yeah. or at least get tired yeah has there ever been a fight in an action movie where they just oh god i'm tired can we just stop i'm not sure that there has i'm not sure that there has because these two just kind of oh, just, just stop. Can we have a minute? Um, just, just call a truce for a minute while I get their breath back. Speaking of another Tommy Jones movie, this was almost like the fight between him and Steven Seagal and Under Siege, where they get the <laughs> knives out and it's almost as <laughs> if this was a dumber action movie. They both Charles and, and Harrison Ford would be fighting, just like when we were in uh, the Marines. You know, like just a callback to them actually being like they'd be bare chested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they're smashing each other with chairs and punching each other and yeah, the, the usual thing of falling through plate glass windows. Yeah, and... yeah it goes on forever. Meanwhile, every cop in Chicago is trying to kill Richard Kimball. They yep. so go onto this rooftop. It goes on forever. It's actually totally yep. unnecessary. Yep. And then Joe Pants gets a huge girder in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's trying to intervene. Well, Charles is about, is he about to shoot? Um, Gerard? He's about to shoot Tom. He's about to shoot Gerard, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. Richard comes and saves his life, and he smacks him with an iron bar, and that's it. He's finally felled the baddie. Because if you were a um, you know, hugely successful surgeon who, yes, had been involved in a murder conspiracy, yeah, your next thing you'd do is shoot a U.S. marshal that you've never met before, or only yeah. met once or twice before. Yeah. That is going to end well, isn't it? Yeah. He hits one U.S. marshal in the face with a girder, and tries to <laughs> shoot another one. Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones finally believes him and, mm. and does the symbolic gesture of taking off his cuffs just to yeah. show, you're, you're, you're innocent, I believe you. Yeah. At the end. And they both sort of smile at each other and then probably presumably start making out in the, the backseat of the car. Yeah, I think so. Well. That was The Fugitive. So I'm going to ask you, Robert, mm. is The Fugitive still any good? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I hadn't seen it for, God, at least 10 years, maybe maybe 15 years. And it was good. I, I agree with you. It did start to sag. That last 30, 40 minutes could have been condensed into 20, mm-hmm. maybe even less. And it is a shame it kind of got us into that formulaic final fight. I mean, really, the, the fight with the one-armed man was believable enough, but that should have been the, the physical fight, you know? That should have been the, the final yeah. kind of yeah. battle. Too, too many endings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two middle-aged surgeons going at it is just, you know... <laughs> fantastic couple of leads great supporting performances fires long at a cracking pace for the most part and it's kind of a smart like an intelligent action mm. thriller for kind of grown-ups that they don't really make this kind of movie anymore they make um, it way too gritty now and put, yeah. put a lot of dirty words in it and things like that this is just it's a fun roller coaster but with intelligent themes exactly as i saw this at 12 and and you know, um, like you say, if it was this kind of movie being made now, it would be too um, 
dark yeah. and gritty or too dumb and star mm. Dwayne Johnson. So, yeah, no, it was, um, I thought it was, it was very good. I, was, mm. I, was, I enjoyed watching it again. I thought it was a very good film. Mm. And I agree totally with, with what you said and, and obviously what we've talked about, which was that final bit does sag. It does feel a little bit over long. Yeah. Particularly when you think about the first 20 minutes where the storytelling is so efficient. If, they, if they'd kept that up throughout the whole of the film and, and like we said, maybe moved some of the set pieces around so it was better paced, it, it would be one of the greatest action movies. Yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. a really, really good one. I, I really enjoyed it so much. Yeah. Just those tiny little flaws stop it from being perfect. But no, nah, it, it was great. It was good fun. It was really exciting, really enjoyable. All right. So what's next? So next, surprise, surprise, we've got another special coming up. Oh. Yeah, because very soon it is World Roll Dahl Day. Mm. Yeah. And of course, last year we celebrated that by talking about two old episodes of Tales of the Unexpected. We did. Which I enjoyed talking about very much. And it's also one of our more popular episodes in our download stats. So oh, really? bollocks to it. Let's do it again. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Becoming a tale of the expected. Yeah, room, isn't it? tale of the utterly predictable. <laughs> Yeah. Very much like many of the episodes, actually. <laughs> yeah. So we both need to choose an episode. Great. And have a bit of a chat about it soon. All right. Bit of housekeeper? Yes, yes. So the usual contact stuff, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at StillAnyGoodPod. Instagram, StillAnyGoodPod. We're also on Facebook, StillAnyGood. And if you want to email us, it's StillAnyGood at gmail.com. Oh, thank you for that, Chris. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure speaking to you in my new surroundings look at you you're just so you're chuffed aren't you and, and yeah right i haven't even so. got a hat on it's amazing it looks like i'm indoors it does yeah it does mm. you, usually you look like a fugitive this time, <laughs> this time you look like a u.s marshal <laughs> thanks <laughs> all right okay i will see you soon see you next time bye cheers take care folks bye bye